0: Well, we're continuing our uh, series in 1 John, uh, a a letter that John the Apostle has written to believers. And we're starting to see the impact of when God enters into a person. And we would expect God to change a person, wouldn't we? If you've read anything lately about Kanye West yes, we're getting straight into Kanye West, so early in his story, Uh, regardless of what you think of him. You have to hear him out when he says, God has changed my heart. He's shown me Jesus's love, and I want to follow him. And for the time being, it looks like his life has changed. His music has changed. His lifestyle seems to have changed. And we pray that that would continue, that God would continue to do a work uh, in his heart, drawing him closer to himself and, and using his gifts for the church. But what do we do for the person who says they are in Christ, but nothing looks different? There is no impact. There is no change. John says that when God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, intercepts your life, there is a revolution that takes place in your life. The person of Jesus Christ is all of a sudden at the center. There's a new commitment to godliness. There is this new love for the people of God, John tells us. And week by week, as we've been reading through this, uh, this letter, as we've been studying this letter, we can be saying, isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing that God has given us this new appreciation uh, of Christ, uh, that he's created in us this love of truth, uh, a love of godliness, and a love of our brothers and sisters in Christ? A love for his people. I am not perfect, but I have this new life. And as we saw last week, I am no longer dead. I am alive. And he has given me this life. And if that change has taken place, then you should say how thankful you are to God. But this letter is also meant to disturb. Because if, if these things are not obvious... If Jesus is a stranger to you, and your life pretty well looks like the rest of the world, living for self all the time, or if you are happy to avoid God's people forever, then you ought to take your pulse and be asking if there's any spiritual life at all. John's answer is simple. In chapter 3, verse 15, he says, There is no life in you. Christianity is more than just walking through the doors Sunday after Sunday. It's more than just sitting in the pews Sunday after Sunday. It is a life. The first three chapters, we have seen that coming to know your sin is the first step. Coming to know salvation is the next step. Then there is this new appreciation for Christ, for godliness, for the people of God. And today we come to chapter 4. We had two points last week. We have two points again this week. Last week we looked at uh, the love test. This week we're looking at listening and testing the spirits. And then the second point is love and its foundations. Listening and testing the spirits. We know that there is an enemy of our souls, the devil, as we read in chapter 3. And we need help discerning good and right doctrine and teaching from that which is bad. So in chapter 4, John starts by addressing these. First about the teachers in verses 1 to 3, and then about the listeners, verses 4 to 6. Teachers. Chapter 4, verse 1. Do not believe everything. Do not believe everything. It is hard to hear believers who get excited about Bible teachers who know we know profess another gospel other than Christ alone. These leaders have a church, these leaders have a following, they may even have a Bible. But we know that they are not leading people to Christ. And so what do we do? Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, because inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And so what do we need to be doing? We need to be listening carefully. We need to be listening carefully. This does not mean you reject everything. Some people come to churches and they are dangerously closed to everything that gets said. Nothing gets through, especially if you are often a a grumpy person. You know this person. They're shut down. uh, Mentally, physically, their arms are crossed. They're closed off. And the internal dialogue is, I don't like this person in front of me, I don't like the man on the platform, I'm not listening to any of this. I remember back in Sydney, a man took me out to lunch after my very first sermon there and essentially told me everything I had done wrong. As a caveat, he wrote an email to me saying that he had lectured at the seminary where my father had studied and I thought, oh. He's a lecturer at the Bible college. Like, I want to hear what he has to say because I want to accept the feedback. If he was a preacher, if he was a minister, or if, even if he was a great help to the church, I was wanting to hear what he had to say. But he was a software salesman whose attendance at church was pretty spotty. <clears throat> But he was always irritated at something. Always sitting in judgment over everything that took place at the church. He wasn't listening. He wasn't allowing the words of Scripture to penetrate his heart and convict him. So don't be someone who rejects everything. John says, the way forward, verse 2, is to test the spirits. Test the spirits. What does that even mean? It means... Test the messages. What are they saying? And the way you do that, John says in chapter 4, verse 2, do they acknowledge that Jesus is, has come in the flesh? In other words, do they recognize the uniqueness, the, the historicity, the, the supremacy, the, the humanity, the deity of Jesus? That's the question. Now, you may think this is a strange test or even a simple test. It's not a Christmas test asking, uh, you know, did, was Christ born? Did he live? It's more than that. Was he raised from the dead? Was he who he said he was? And when the Spirit of God is at work and you see the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ, if you are a teacher or a preacher, you cannot help but speak about these things. Listen to this letter from C.S. Lewis when he's coming to terms with this greatness and uniqueness of Jesus, and he writes this letter to a friend who doesn't believe in the uniqueness of Jesus. Listen to what he says. If he was not God, who was he? When he weeps over Jerusalem, why does he suddenly say, I send you prophets? Who would say this other than God or a lunatic? How can he announce that fasting is off because he's arrived? Who gives the school a half holiday except the headmaster? Christ's divinity is not stuck on but sticks out at every point. Otherwise, how could the death of one man have effect for all men? He was beginning to see Christ as the most massive figure in human history in his life. Look at what John says of the speaker or the preacher who denies this, verse 3. Because he he doesn't just say it's unfortunate, how unfortunate that someone has done this. He, He goes all the way back to the spirit of the Antichrist. So if you want to know what the Antichrist is all about, all you need to do is hear someone profess that Jesus is not who the Bible says he is. All you need is someone who says, this is not God come in the flesh, or or God and man dying on the cross for us, or God-man raising from the dead. This is somebody who says, he's not really that great. He's okay. This is somebody who says he goes in the long line of of religious leaders throughout history. A, A good teacher like so many before and after him. John says, that is Antichrist. And now a word to the listeners. Here's John's word to the listeners. Are you listening? Congratulations. Congratulations. You have overcome. That's what he's saying to those who have listened to Christ. You have stayed with the truth. Congratulations. Despite all the pressure for you to drop the truth... You have stayed faithful to the truth. You have remained faithful and true to the teaching, to the doctrine. You are a truth person. And why? Verse 4, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God, having brought the message to you, has protected you by his spirit. He has kept you with conviction. He has kept you going. He has kept you believing. He he has kept you discerning. So why is it that so many of you have stayed with Christ and become clearer and more interested in the truth of Christ? Is it because we are consistent people? No. Is it because you are clever people? Some of you are clever. No. No. Is it because there are no other doctrines or heresies around? No. It's because God has kept you. There are lots of voices, verse 5, and the world loves its own voices. That's why we rarely see an Orthodox Christian believer on television speaking about anything. It's always a really strange person whose views are almost always in conflict with the word. Because the world listens to what it likes. When the Spirit of God comes into your heart, He enables you to have an ear for the truth for the Word. The truth of the shepherd. And He keeps you. He he looks after you. In John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, He prays for His disciples. Holy Father, keep them in Your name. Which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. That name being the revelation of the divine glory and grace through the Father's words that Jesus gave his disciples. Keep them in the revelation of your truth, keep them in your word. He guards us, and verse 6. We keep listening to the apostles. That's why the church is called the church of the apostles. Because we're built on the foundations of what they taught, what they have handed to us. We need to work hard at our listening. I know we're all in here, Sunday morning, sitting in church, listening to the Word. But what about Monday through Saturday? We need to work hard at hearing the Word of God. According to recent study, we are spending nearly 24 hours a week on phone screens. That's over three hours a day, and that's just phones that doesn't include computers and televisions. Three-quarters of smartphone users check their phones every 12 minutes. That means three-quarters of you have checked your phone 400 times since I started. Is that math right? It's a danger. We want everyone to get up in the morning and and, and read the Word of God. Well, most everyone's getting up and looking at their phone every few minutes. But there's good news that some of these phones have our our, our Bibles on them, uh, tools that help us. But do you see what he's saying in verse 6? If we want to know God, we listen to the apostles. We listen to their words. We listen to the word of God which they have handed to us in this New Testament. Second, love and its foundations, verses 7 to 12. Now, these are popular verses for weddings. Uh, Lindsay and I had these verses read at our wedding. Uh, but one of the problems is that some of these verses can sound so Vague. If you don't have the right context, if you don't understand the, the what entirety of what they're saying, you know, it's sort of, a, if you have God, you have love. Uh, if you love God, you love. Uh, it, it, it can sound kind of wishy-washy. You picture the bride and the groom uh, standing there, and they're listening to these verses read, and they think, well, I love him. I love her. Then I must love God. I, I must be Okay. It's all sort of uh, rolled up, bundled up all into one big thing, and, and it's all the same. It's love is everywhere. Now John is talking about a special kind of love, the divine love. It, it is different than human love. It, it moves uh, from the Father through the Son, through the Spirit, into the believer, to the church, to the world, and back up to God. It's really an amazing process. Verse 7, it comes from God. Verse 8, he is love. And, and John's not saying just that God loves you. Yes, God does love you. He's not just saying God is loving. God is loving. John is saying he is love. Therefore, whenever God thinks or speaks or acts in all of time, all of history, all of space. A lover is at work. Behind the universe, behind creation, is a lover. I don't think we find this easy to understand this, to grasp this, especially when everything is going wrong in our lives. Sometimes we think, oh, God is love. Yeah, that's easy to understand. But I don't think it is. Sometimes it's difficult to understand that. But our great proof, verse 9, it's not just thinking and feeling. There's action. He gave His most loved Son. And not just to come to earth to walk and talk and, and be around. He sent Him on a mission a mission that would take his very life. In order, verse 10, that we might live. In order that the wrath of God we justly deserve and must be dispensed on someone might be removed from us. Because he didn't look down on us and find us lovely. He didn't look down on us and see people who love each other well and say, I should help them. I should, I should help them across the line. He saw desperate people who needed everything. If Jesus does not enter our world, and if he does not go to the cross, then we are still stuck in our trespasses and sins, and the wrath of God will be poured out on us. But because he was sent and did come, we get to live with a capital L, as in eternal life. You may be alive with a pulse right now, but do you have eternal life? Without Jesus, that is an impossibility. If we want to know God is a loving God, we won't say... Oh, Lord, if you love me, you will do this thing for me. It's by listening to what he says. And this is what he says. If you want to know whether I love you, look at the way I loved you. Look at the way I gave my son for you. I loved you to death and back. So whatever else is happening, it happens with this as the backdrop of all. But how does the love get into our hearts? That's the big question. I'm just going to continue to be uh, the selfish person that I am unless God penetrates my heart with his love. And the answer is that this love comes into the human heart when we put our trust in Christ. And his spirit moves into us. And there is a change. And we discover there is a new love for God. It's not great. We wish it were greater. And we have a new love for the believers. It's not great. We wish it were greater. But there is a change. And unless God does this, there is no human answer. John says, verse 11, if you have received this, reproduce it. If you have been loved sacrificially, love sacrificially. If you have been loved profoundly, love profoundly. John says, you have this transformation, but you need this instruction too. I've been given the love of God in my heart, but I need to be told, I need to be urged to show it. So the love of God travels from God the Father through Christ the Son, through the Spirit. It enters the heart of the believer. It makes us new with a new love for the believers. It makes the church a place of kindness and love. If God has been kind to you, be kind. Sometimes God's people can be so unkind. If God has been patient with you, Be patient. Go on loving and forgiving God's people. The power of this community is seen in verse 12. It reveals God's presence to other people. No one has ever seen God. It sounds like this is some sort of incomplete sentence. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, what's he talking about? In John's gospel, he says, nobody has seen God, but Jesus has made him known. John 1.18. Now he says, no one has ever seen God. A loving church reveals something of God. Jesus revealed God perfectly. The loving church reveals God imperfectly. It's a signpost. It's a stepping stone. How many of you know people who, who, when they became Christians or when you became a Christian, you walked into the church and, 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 and people were so different from your other friend groups? They loved you differently. They looked after you differently. They asked different questions. That's what John is saying here. The loving church is a great demonstration of God at work. Again, in Jesus' high priestly prayer from chapter 17 of John, John's gospel, he prays, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the apostles' word, that they, us, that we may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me, loved them even as you loved me. Our witness is one which extends beyond the walls of this building. It is one which people can see and know God through the love we have and exhibit for one another. What a challenge. And yet despite the difficulty of that challenge, I see it over and over and over again. When someone is sick and their small group Bible study goes and visits them. When someone has a baby and the members of the church throw a baby shower for them. I've seen it over and over and over again. And sometimes you begin to almost think that something hasn't happened and then you go and visit someone and it's already happened. And you rejoice. Chapter 4, John is telling us That God impacts his people, that he causes his people to have a grip on the truth and, and a concern for the truth and a love for truth. And he causes his people to have a new love in their hearts. Let's pray. Father, I confess I don't always listen well. Sometimes I assume. And yet you have put this truth in our hearts. You have kept us and you remind us. And so, Father, I'm thankful for those reminders I'm thankful for the reminders you put in my life, the things that you show me that you are love, the things that show me of what you've called me to, the things that show me your character, that you are trustworthy, that you do not deny yourself. And Father, I know deep down in my heart sometimes I'm not loving. I turn away when the when I should be going in and towards. And yet, once again, you remind me of what you have done for me, for us. And it convicts me, and it draws me in. And when that takes place, I rejoice. And yet, my heart is fickle, and I soon forget after that. And so we're asking that you would remind us that we could be a people who draw others to you because you're using us in the love that we have for one another, in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we look after one another, not because we're lovely, not because we are so kind in in and of ourselves, but because you have shown your love to us through the sending of your Son, that we can have new life and we can now love our neighbors as ourselves. So, Father, remind us of these things. Use us this week. Show us places where we can love, where we can serve, where we can be a joy to others. And give us the blessing that goes with that as we act that out. For we pray this in Christ's name.